Good morning. Hey, we're in the third week of a series that we've been calling Weird. I know that seems like a weird topic, a weird title for a sermon series in the church, but really it's very fitting if you think about it. Let's just be honest today. Let's cut through the BS today. Let's cut through the religiosity today. Let's cut through the traditions today, and let's just get to the core of this book. And when we look through this book through a natural viewpoint, let's just be honest. It's a weird book. I mean, you got a guy who goes against God and a whale comes and swallows him up. I, I mean, you got a little kid who defeats a giant. You got people who get thrown into a lion's den. Hey, Tiger King Society. And instead of the lion eating, the lion comes like it's a little kitten sits in their lap. You got three guys who get thrown into a fiery furnace. And when they look back into the furnace, there's not three people there. There's four people there. I, I mean, it's a weird book. And so what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been looking, if you will, at some of the weird things that happen in this book. Because just because they're weird doesn't mean we don't believe they're true. And because they're true, we believe they're life-changing in every aspect of the word. And if we were again to be honest today, there's probably no weirder story in all the Bible than the Easter story. I've got a buddy of mine who's an atheist, and he likes to say it's the ultimate zombie story. Somebody dies, Three days later, they raised from the dead, and they roamed the earth for a little while. But the reality is, everything about our faith stems from Easter Sunday. And we look at Easter in every different way, but really when you get down to the heart of the matter, if you really think about the Easter message, while it would be a great movie, while it's turned into some great movies, at the end of the day, if I had to put it into a movie category... It's a love story. In every sense of the word, the Easter story is the greatest love story ever told. It's the story of Jesus and about the love of Jesus for every single human being that ever existed. Let me, let me repeat that. It's the story of Jesus and the love that Jesus has for every single human being whoever lived. Now, that means regardless of race, Jesus loves them. Regardless of social standing, Jesus loves them. Regardless of denominational ties, Jesus loves them. Regardless of nationality, Jesus loves them. Regardless of sexual preference, Jesus loves them. Regardless of political party affiliation, we serve a God who loves them. Easter, at its core, is a love story. It's a love unlike any of us have ever experienced, actually. It's a love that is so beautiful, so stunning, so expansive, that the problem is we can't look at it as a love story because our minds can't comprehend that type of love. Many of us have read great love stories. Many of us have experienced great love stories. Yesterday was my six-year wedding anniversary. I, I like to think that I've lived a great love story. My marriage is a, a beauty from ashes story, if you will. And, and in my mind, there's no greater love than the love that I have for my wife. But here's the deal. The love that Christ has for us is whole nother level. I, I, I mean, we can't understand this type of love. So while many of us experience a powerful love, many of us have read about powerful loves, 
we've seen powerful love. The other side of that is, is many of us have experienced horrible examples of love. And we're jaded when it comes to a love story. But the story of Easter is a love story unlike anything you've ever experienced. If you're watching today, I want you to know it's a love that's for everybody, everywhere. You might be watching across the country today and you're trying to figure out what is this redneck in North Georgia talking about? And what I'm talking about is a love story. I'm talking about the fact that God so loved the world. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. The most famous verse ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the Easter story. If you have to sum up the Easter story, we can go to the resurrection morning. We can go to the empty tomb. We can go to the disciples coming running to see what everything was going on. We can see where the guards had talked about an angel rolled the stone away. But at its essence, John 3.16 is the Easter story in words. For God so loved the world. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came. The message of Jesus is very, very simple. For God so loved the world. That's why he was mocked. That's why he was beaten. It's why he was spit upon. It's why he hung on a cross. It's why he never once retaliated through anger, through hatred, through bitterness. Actually, even his last words that he ever spoke as he hung on the cross exemplify this love story. The Bible says in Luke 23, Jesus hanging on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In Luke 23, verse 43, the Bible says this, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Think about that for a second. The Savior of the world who lived a perfect life is hanging on the cross He's dying for sins he didn't commit. Oh, BTW, he's dying for sins that we would commit. He's paying the price for our sin. Why? Because it's a love story. He looks to his right and he tells the person hanging next to him, the person who was guilty and deserved to die according to that government, and he looks at him and says, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. The Bible says in John 19, as he's hanging on the cross, and when he received the drink, he, he, Jesus said to them, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Man, those are three powerful words. It is finished. The love story was finished. The sacrifice for the ultimate love was finished. Even in death, Jesus was love. Easter is the greatest love story that's ever told. And I get when you look at it logically. I get when you just read it. I get when we hear the same story over and over and over every year. I know for some of you, you really don't know what to do right now because you're used to going to church twice a year, every Christmas and every Easter, and you couldn't even get your two in. So we're going to change that up a little bit this year. This year, everybody's going to go to church on Christmas Eve. And everybody's going to go to church the first Sunday back after we're sheltered in. That'll make up for Easter. It'll be good to see you guys. I'll continue the sermon that I started on Christmas where you know where we're at. But the reality is it is finished. And even in death, 
Jesus was love. The Bible says this in John 15, 30. It says, greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for one's friends. The greatest love you could ever have is to lay down your life for someone you love. But Jesus, as he always does, he took it up a notch. He didn't just die for his friends. He died for the entire world. Jesus is love. The crucifixion was love. The resurrection was love. The Easter story is love. And John 3.16 exemplifies that so much. I believe personally it's the greatest verse in all the Bible. It's the most loved verse in all the Bible. The reality is if you were to take a survey across the nation, it's the most known verse in all the Bible. There's only 25 words in this verse, yet no single verse in Scripture has been blessed in the salvation of so many people. Martin Luther called John 3.16, he said, it's simply the miniature gospel. It has been called the gospel in a nutshell. It's been called a love letter written from God in his own blood, addressed to everybody. If ever was a verse that Satan would love to blot out of the Bible, it would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If there was ever a verse today that should make hell tremble, it's John 3, 16. And again, the problem is we've seen it so much. We've seen people holding up signs at the ball game. We've seen even wrestling adopt an adaptation of it with Austin 3.16. We see something so much that we become immune to the power of something. We become immune to the beauty of something. And this verse is a love story. And I'm afraid today the church has forgotten this verse. We're so busy with wowing people with something they've never heard before. We're so busy wowing people with our traditions or our religion or our lights and our sound and our screens and all these things that we forgot the simplicity of John 3 16 for God so loved the world and what the church does it's moved away talking about the love story and the church has moved into a scare tactic mode we want to hang people over the the flames of fire, if you will. We want to hang them so close that their toes get hot, hoping that fear will transform them to God. We're seeing a lot in our society today about fear. We understand fear. The media is trying to make us fearful. Some believe the government is trying to make us fearful. Our employers are trying to make us fearful. And that's what we've done with the gospel. We think we can fear people into heaven. We want to let them know, hey, you'll fry like bacon, so you better turn to God. But the problem with fear tactics is when you're operating in fear, you're no longer operating in faith, and when you're not operating in faith, you're not understanding and experiencing the love of the greatest love story ever. If you follow this, and you do this, and you act like this, and you talk like this, and you hold your head like this, and, and, and you love this type of person, and you do this, and you know the secret handshake, maybe then you'll get into heaven. But that's so contrary to the love story that's for God so loved the world. <laughs> you see the most famous verse in all the Bible, and all that I see is a love story. I, I, I see a story of a God 
who loved us so much. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. I'm a father of four. I can't comprehend that. He gave his one and only son to pay the penalty for our sins, our screw-ups, our F-ups, our mess-ups. And all we have to do is believe he paid that price. The church loves to come along with its rules and its regulations and its religion. And God said, it's none of those things. It's just simply a relationship with me. You get in the church and the church says, you got to quit doing this and you got to quit doing that. And God says, no, 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 no. You just have to realize I love you. For those of you watching online today, you ought to be saying amen right now because you've got a God who loves you. You've got a God who's not worried about what you got into last night. You've you're wor- got a God who's not worried about the fact of what you're getting into today. You've got a God who loves you right where you are. In every sense of the word, the hot thing in the church world has come as you are. And the thing is, though, it's nothing new. Jesus has been saying, come as you are for 2,000 years. Jesus says, I gave my son to pay the price you couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't know. And in every sense of the word, Easter is a love story. It's a love story of God's love for us. But so many of us, so many of you watching online will never darken the doors of a church. The big thing right now is you don't got to go to church to uh, be a Christian. And the church is realizing that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But I'm telling you, if you're not part of a local church and you're not part of the community of faith, you're missing, on one of the gra- missing out on one of the greatest blessings of being a Christ follower. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's power in community. There's power in touch. There's power in doing life with each other. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because one can pick the other one up when they're down. We live in a day and time where they're telling us, hey, you can go to the grocery store and you can go to the liquor store and you can go to this store, but we can't gather together as Christians. And I'm sorry, I, I'm and I respect and I love and I honor our government and I understand the logic behind it and we're going to keep embracing that as long as we feel led to do that. But I can't wait to the day we come together and we get to love each other because God loved us. A few years ago, I was reading the biography of Mother Teresa. I, I wanted to hear the heart of this woman. I wanted to understand how a woman could literally give her life for those less fortunate to her. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't drink a lot of coffee. I'm just high on life. That's just the way I roll. Oh, high on life and bang energy drinks, special sponsor of Action Church. And um, man, I wanted to sit outside. I remember it was kind of a day like yesterday. And so I went to a Starbucks and I pulled up. I got a bottle of water and I went outside and I was reading this book and an area pastor saw me. And the area pastor walked up to me. We chit-chatted for a few minutes. We shared those pleasantries that pastors share with each other. He asked what I was reading. I told him what I was reading, and I'll never forget what he told me. Without missing a beat, he said, man, she truly was a remarkable woman. She truly was an incredible woman. But the reality is, 
is she's in hell today. And I remember when he said that, it's stopping me in my tracks, and I thought to myself, Mother Teresa is in hell? Is she? Like, like this guy has confirmation of this. God has told him, hey, just wanted to let you know, Mother Teresa, not making it in. Man, she's in hell. Somebody knows this as a fact. I just don't get it. <laughs> but, but, but that's the problem with the church today. The church has adopted this mindset that of the billions and billions or to quote The Rock, the millions and millions of people who've ever lived, that only a select number make it to heaven. That every other person, besides this select few, they suffer in torment and punishment. And my problem with that has always been, what is the defining factor in where we go? Does God punish people? I'm just giving you some questions that I've asked myself. Does God punish people for thousands of years with eternal punishment for things they did for a few years here on earth? If that's the case, my question has always been, who makes the cut on who gets in and who doesn't? Why them? Why you? Why me? Why not them? I mean, if only a few go to heaven, that means that billions upon billions go to hell. And how does one go about escaping this punishment? That's the message of the church. The message of the church no longer is it's a love story for God so loved the world. The message of the church is do this, do that, look like this, act like this, and maybe you'll be one of the select ones. I mean, is it chance that you get into heaven? Is it luck that you get into heaven? Do you have to be born into the right family to get in there? Do you have to to be born in the right place? And and then here's what's amazing to me about people when they say you've got to act a certain way to get into heaven. Whenever people claim that only a certain group of people get in, how come those that are making that claim are always part of the group that's in? They've missed out on the love story. As I read the most famous verse ever, I don't see a narrow love today. I see a love that is available for everyone. I get that it's weird. I get that it blows our mind. I get that in the natural we don't comprehend that type of love But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's not a narrow love to me. That's a powerful love to me. That's a love story unlike anything I've ever experienced. And don't miss this watching at home today. That is the Easter story. I don't know who out there is watching today, but I want you to know that God loves you. I know what you're saying right now. You're saying, Gary, you don't even know me. You're right, I don't know you, but God knows you, and God loves you. Some of you right now are saying, Gary, you do know me, but you don't know the secret life I live. I don't want to know the secret life you live. Here's what I know. God loves you, for God so loved the world. Some of you out there today, you're kind of arguing with me right now. You're saying, that's not the right thing. It's not for everybody. God loves you too. God loves the world. The Easter story, at its essence, is a love story. It's a powerful love. And what I want to do today is I want to break down this verse for you, and I want to look at some different characteristics of the, of the verse. And the first thing I want to look at is this powerful love. I want to look at the source of this love. I want to look at the source of this love. John three sixteen says, For God so loved. For God, 
That's big G. So loved. To have the kind of love we're talking about, you can't miss this here. To have this type of love, you need to understand something. It must begin with God. Our love, if we're to be honest today, is based on so many things. Our love, if we were to be honest today, our love is often biased. Our love is based on, like it or not, our love for someone is based on what have you done for me. Like it or not, not trying to hurt your feelings, not trying to cheapen your love that you have for people, but the large majority of our love in the flesh is a selfish love. And it's based on, I love them, what can I get in return? Even if you don't realize that's the type of love you have. We love people who love us. We love people who benefit us. We love people that we get along with. Our love is limited. But the greatest verse ever says, for God. God is love so true. God is, has a love that is so pure that it has to start with for God. Love must begin, this type of love must begin with God. Everything started with God. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, the first verse in all the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. Everything begins with God. Creation began with God, so therefore, love began with God. There cannot be a here without a there. There cannot be an upper without a lower. There cannot be a before without an after. And there can't be creation without a creator. God created love. It's the purest form of love that has ever existed. And because it's so pure and it's so powerful, our minds can't comprehend it because we're not God and we're not wired that way. You say, I don't even believe there's a God. Well, the Bible says in Psalms 14, 1, the fool says in his own heart, there is no God. The fool says in his own heart, there is no God. I got in some trouble and upset some people last night because I called somebody out on Facebook that deserved to be called out. And so I said, I can't believe a pastor was calling that. God called him a fool. The fool says there is no God. The fool does. The idiot does. The do <laughs> nope. The fool says in his heart there is no God. John 3.16 says, for God so loved. I, I, I've hit on this a thousand times, but if you're watching for the first time, we don't really comprehend how limited the English language is. It's not a very descriptive language. And so therefore, because it is not very descriptive language, we miss out on the power of the verse. So we see the word love talking about God, but the problem with love is we say, I love my wife, and then we say, I love pizza. It's the same word we use for both. They're not the same type of love. Now, don't get me wrong. As you can tell, I love some pizza. But as much as I love pizza, it has nothing to do with how much that I love God and so are my wife. And so we miss out on this verse by the power of this verse. The word love in the original language, if you were to break it down in the Greek into the original language, which is a very descriptive language, what you would see is it means to be fond of or to love dearly. 
God was so fond of us, he loved us so dearly that, that we get the rest of the verse. Don't miss this. God was so fond of us, for God was so fond, if you want to break down for God so loved, that, that we get the rest of the verse. And, and it, can't be, it can't be understood, for God so loved the world that he gave. We can't understand that part without comprehending the part of God loved us so so, so just so powerfully. The word love occurs 56 times in the book of John. And it means he's so fond of us. Our minds will never grasp this type of love until we understand the source of this love. And the source of this love is God. For God so loved. The next thing I want to check out is not only the source of the love today, I want you to check out this. And for some of you who grew up in church, you're going to not understand this. I want you to understand the scope of the love. I'm going to hang out here because I am going to break every stereotype you have of who God loves. I'm going to break every stereotype of who the church says God loves because the scope of the love is this. For God so loved the world. The world. 77 times the word world is found in John. And the world here, the word here, is not talking about matter. It's not talking about the physical or It's not talking about the thing that we walk around on, the thing that we swim in, the thing that we go hiking in. It's not talking about a physical world. It's referencing the people who live here. John 3.16 is a love story. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It's a love story of God loving everybody. That's what's so amazing to me about people who hate in the name of Jesus. It, it, it seems that almost every bigoted group that ever got started, every racist group that ever got started, every hate-filled group that ever got started, their hate is based around God's teaching, which is so contrary to John 3, 16. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The greatest love that many of us ever have, or we like to admit it or not, is the love we have for ourselves. Such a narrow love, but God loved the world. It would be impossible for us to love everybody, even if we tried. Sometimes you're just going to meet people and you're not going to click with us. They'll rub us the wrong way. They're going to do something that we don't like. But God said, my scope is I love the world. God wasn't, God wasn't American, so he didn't just love Americans. Hey, I, I, I know, I know, I know. That's shocking to some of you in Canton. That's shocking. God wasn't American, so he didn't just love Americans. Guess what? <laughs> God loves the Russians, the Middle Easterners. Guess, guess what? God loves the Chinese. I <laughs> I know, that's, that's mind-blowing to some of you. It's because you don't understand what love is. You don't understand the greatest love story ever. For God so loved the world. Listen, listen this is going to be earth-shattering to some of you, especially some of you right here in, in North Georgia and South Georgia, right here in the South. Check, check, check it out, check it out. God doesn't just love white people. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Hate to burst your bubble, but God, Jesus, he was Jewish. He wasn't white. We see colors, and God sees the world. That, that's the scope of his love. Probably right about now, the viewership on Facebook Live has dropped. Hate it for you. At least you got to hear the truth before you dropped off. L listen, listen, listen. God doesn't just love the civilized. He doesn't just love the civilized. He, he loves the heathens and the addicts and the misfits. 
of which I am and the social outcast. That's the scope of God's love. That's the scope of the Easter story. That's the scope of the greatest story ever told. And I get it. It's weird. We don't necessarily grasp it. But that makes the truth so powerful. God doesn't just love the Baptist. He doesn't just love the Methodist. God doesn't just love the, uh, the charismatic or the Catholic. God loves the world. He doesn't just love those with conservative views. He doesn't love those that are red or those that are blue or those that are green. Guess what? Guess what? God loves the world. We can't grasp that kind of mindset because you can't even love somebody on Facebook who has a different view than you. I gave my opinion on some things this week and all hell broke loose and I just let it break loose. About 300 something comments. Someone sent me a message and they said, why aren't you defending your stance? I said, I don't care if they disagree with me. That's okay. Guess what? People can disagree with me. It's okay. I know the size of my ego. I know what's okay. I don't expect everyone to think like me and act like me and believe like me. It's okay. God loves the world. Now listen, for some of you that are joining from other churches today, this is going to be the point where you need to sit down for a second. If for some reason you're standing up, maybe you're in the kitchen making an omelet and you got me on the background, for your own safety, you probably need to sit down right now. Maybe you're walking around cleaning the house, touching up while the sermon's on, you probably need to sit down right now because I don't want you to have a heart attack and pass out by what I'm about to say, but I'm about to rock your world. Are you ready? Guess what? God loves the world. He doesn't just love straight people. Are you okay? Breathe. Through your nose. Out your mouth. Through your nose. Out your mouth. It's going to be okay. I I know right now your heart's beating fast. The sweat's beating up on your head because, man, you've been taught something different by maybe your pastor or you've been taught something different by the church or you've been taught by something different maybe even from Granny. God bless Granny. I get it, but check it out. God loves all people, regardless of who those people love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God so loved the white world. God so loved the straight world. God so loved the Baptist world. God so loved the black world. God so loved the Chinese world. God so loved the gay world. It says, God loves the world. And the minute we comprehend that concept is the minute we begin to maybe, maybe, maybe start showing that type of love because God so loved the world. God doesn't just love those who say they're Christians. The Bible says God so loves the world. He loves atheists. I've got a buddy of mine who lives out in Utah, and he's an atheist, and I love him. But every time I post anything about God, I know how long before so-and-so gets on there and makes some kind of comment guess what? God loves him, and I love him. People ask me, why don't you delete those comments? Why why don't you shut him down? Why? God loves him. I want to punch him sometimes, but I love, I want to punch him all the time, just to be honest with you, but I love him too. God loves all colors, all individuals, all social groups. God loves the saints, and God loves the sinners. That's, That's the scope of God's love, the source of God's love, the scope of God's love. God loved us so much that he gave the ultimate sacrifice when we didn't deserve it. God loved us. But true love like this is never deserved. You, you can't work your way to get this type of love. We don't get what we deserve, thank God. Trust me today, you don't want what you deserve from God. 
You want the love that God has for us. We get a loving father. We get a loving father that gives his only son for the world. For God so loved the world. Man, so many people spent so long trying to get love and attention from everybody and everything. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. And God says, man, I just love you right where you're at. But we look to everything and anything but the true love that comes from God. I I get you're saying, I don't understand. I get it's a little bit weird. But there's a source for the love. It's God. There's a scope for the love. There's a selflessness to the love. There's a selflessness to the I wanted all my Baptist brethren to feel real comfortable today, so I made sure all my points started with the same letter. I, I want you to feel a little bit comfortable. I knew the minute you saw a long-haired rock and roll worship pastor, your heart would start to beat a little bit. I, I know the minute you didn't see a cross up here or stained glass windows or a barefooted preacher, you'd start to be uncomfortable. So I wanted to throw you a little bit of a softball today, so I made sure all the points started with the same letter today, the selflessness of the love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. To give someone something means you give it. Don't miss this. To give someone something means you give it. No strings attached. It it means you can't work for it. It means you can't buy it. it. It means you can't earn it. It's a gift. We tell our kids, last night I told my son, I have an eight-year-old son, and he wasn't necessarily being the best he could be. I said, hey, 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 you better straighten up if you want the Easter money to come. Now, here's the reality of the situation. If the Easter money brings a true gift, it don't matter how he acts. If he has to act a certain way to get the Easter money to come, then it's not a gift, it's a wage. He acts good, and in return for acting good, he gets something, but it's not a gift. A gift comes no strings attached. You don't earn a gift. You don't... You you don't work for the gift. The gift just comes because someone loves you so much, they give it to you. (laughs) When we tell someone they got to act a certain way, church, or they got to look a certain way, church, or they got to believe a certain way, church, then that's that's not a gift, that's a payment. It's a reward for being good. A a gift says, I love you so much that I want to get this for you, (laughs) even though you may not deserve it. That's the selflessness of this love. God loved us so much that he gave. He wanted us to have this love. He looked down on on the world, and he knew that we were like sheep without a shepherd. And if you've ever seen a bunch of sheep walking around, they're walking, they're dumb animals. And they're bumping into stuff, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. And God said, man, he knew they were sheep without a shepherd. They needed someone to guide them. And in order to do that, they had to pay the price for their sin. And that's the love. My God, why can't we comprehend the love of God? I'm so disgusted with what church has become. I'm so disgusted with what religion has come. I've got a buddy of mine. He says, I can't believe he's blown away by our church. He says, I can't believe what your people allow you to get away with. I said, what do they allow me to get away with? He goes, man, that is, you do stuff that most pastors would lose their job over. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, you're on there doing bourbon with Gary, and you don't have the best mouth, and you call people out. Listen, 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 listen. They understand I'm flawed just like them. They understand if they're looking for the perfect pastor, they're not the right person. But here's the deal. So much of that stuff that we deem somebody ought to do is man-made anyway. God just says, I love you right where you are, dirt and all, 
scars and all, mess and all. I'm telling you today, if you're watching today and you're beating yourself up and you're living with the guilt of your lifestyle, that could be the Holy Ghost of God convicting you to make changes. But at the end of the day, whether you make those changes or don't make those changes, it's between you and God. God loves you anyway. God loves you right where you are. God loves you in the mess. God loves you in the mire. God loves you in the mud. But when you begin to receive that love, don't miss this. When you begin to receive that love, he picks you up out of the mire. He picks you up out of the mud. He picks you up out of the clay, and he puts your feet on a solid rock. We are who we are today because of God. We are not perfect. We do not have it all together. We are just forgiven and loved, and so are you today if you would just accept that love. There's nothing worse than loving someone who won't accept your love. And God feels that way about us. There's a selflessness of love. And last of all, and I'm going to get out of here today, it's the sacrifice of that love. The sacrifice of that love. So, so we've seen the source of the love, the scope of the love, the selflessness of the love, and now we see the sacrifice of the love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved, for God so loved, that's the source, for God so loved the world, that's the scope, for God so loved the world that he gave, that's the selflessness of it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the sacrifice of that love. (laughs) The true value of love lies in what love is willing to give to the objects it loves. Let me repeat that again. The true value of love lies in what love is willing to give to the objects it loves. Let me repeat that a third time, because that's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. I know there's some black ones all over Facebook today, and they're shucking the coin, and they're getting with it, and people are amening in their home, but a white boy's getting to do it today. And what I want you to hear is this. The true value of love lies in what love is willing to give to the objects that it loves. You see, God's love is not a static love. It's not a self-centered love. It's a love that involved action. Talk is cheap. God says, I love you. Then he puts that love into action. How? By giving his one and only son. Wow. What else could he give? Nothing. He gave everything. He gave the highest thing that he could ever give. He gave his son to come to earth, 33 years, face the temptations that we face, deal with the stress that we deal with, deal with the anxiety we deal with, deal with betrayal like we do. There's nothing you haven't went through that God hasn't went through. I had to do a funeral this week from somebody who passed away because of the coronavirus, and I went over to the story of Lazarus because I I think it's just an amazing story that shows the humanity of Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus is his friend. He says, where have you laid him? They showed him where they live, and the Bible says Jesus wept. The humanity of Jesus. He understands every ache and every pain you've ever went through. But he lived that life sinless, and he lived that life flawless, and he lived that life perfect for one reason and one reason only. The Bible says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus knew because of our screw-ups, because of our failures, because of our mess-ups, because of our sin, that imperfect things cannot enter into a perfect place. 
So somebody had to come along and they had to pay the price for our imperfection. The Bible says this in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Let me enlighten you on something today. We're all sinners. You mess up. I mess up. The people in this room mess up. The people sitting next to you on the couch mess up. We all mess up. And the Bible says because of our mess ups, because of our sin, there's a wage. There's a payment due because we mess up. And that payment is death. It's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death separated from God. Because we're imperfect. We can't stand before a perfect God. So God had to come along and pay that price for us. He sent his son to pay that payment. He was as fully human as you and I are, yet he responded always, don't miss this, always with love. Even when he was angry, he responded with love. Even when he was upset, he responded with love. Even when he was being betrayed, he responded with love. It's weird, I get it, but love wins Love is powerful. See, the rest of that verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but, thank God for buts today. But, but, the gift, remember I told you a gift is something you don't earn, you don't deserve. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what I'm telling you today. God loves you. I understand you don't grasp it. I understand that it can be a little bit confusing. I understand that many of you don't even think you deserve it. But God loves you. He loves you right where you are, involved in whatever you're involved in, and he wants you to receive that love today. It's not going to be on the screen. I didn't give him this verse, but the Bible said in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want to experience that love today? It's simple, man. Just call out to God and let him know, man, I realize today that you gave me the ultimate love, and I accept that love. I accept the love that you showed me through the cross. If you have any questions about that, hit us up through our Facebook page. I'll be glad to respond to you. Be glad to answer any questions you have. For those of you that already have a relationship with God, here's what I want to ask you. Have you taken it for granted? Have you forgot just how powerful that love is? Have you forgot that God loved us so much? I know that I'm guilty of it all the time, forgetting the goodness and the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, the source of that love the scope of that love, the selflessness of that love, the sacrifice of that love. You know how I know I believe and how I'm smoking what I'm preaching today? I'm doing all that from memory. Normally, i got to have those points up in front of me to remind me what my points were, but I remember them because I'm so passionate about it today. God loves you right where you are. We at Action Church love you right where you are. That don't mean we won't call out your mess. That don't mean we won't get in your face about your mess, but we love you. If you're local and you need something, man, let us know. We'll do whatever we can to be there for you. If you're all over the country, man, let let us know and we'll do what we can. We'll try to get you hooked up with some place. I think action's a rare place, and I don't know that I can, but we can be there for you because in every sense of the word, we want to take our faith and put it into action and love like Jesus loved. And that's a weird thing today because a lot of people think they love, 
but what they really mean is I love people who believe like me, act like me, speak like me, and look like me. And they don't love everybody. I'm actually going to be talking about that more in depth next week as we talk about the Good Samaritans. It's going to be fun. Join in with us at 10 o'clock. The band's going to come up. I'm going to pray. We're going to close out with one last song today. I think we're closing out with the last song. Is Phil in here? Are we closing out with the last song today, buddy? We're, we're closing out with the last song today. Hey, thank you for joining in. Man, share this everywhere. Let everyone know what's going on. Let people know that God, what God's doing here. Hey, we love you. During this time, we're praying for you. Man, I miss you guys so much. If this has done anything during this time, it has made me renew and appreciate my love for this church. Man, I miss this place on Sunday mornings. I miss gathering with you guys. I, I miss everything about what makes Action Church Action Church. I love you. I can't wait to see you real soon.